0: Hello, and welcome to the 21st Rewrite. I'm William Coldwell, your host. Today's episode is about the screenplay for the film Ex Machina, written by Alex Garland. During the course of this episode, we will be discussing the full scope of the story, so if you haven't seen the film and you don't want any spoilers, do watch it before listening to this episode. However, I highly recommend this particular episode for anyone who's interested in learning more about how to write screenplays because I feel that this script in particular did a fantastic job of doing many different things character development plot plot devices ideas concepts themes all of these things it did really really well so it's definitely worth you investigating watching the film and then listening to this episode if that's something that will interest you we received a lot of positive feedback about the podcast recently. That was really great to hear. Um, if you do enjoy the show, please share it on social media, let other people know that you like it, and try and encourage your friends to listen, and we definitely appreciate your support. If you do like the show and you want to reach out to us or provide any feedback, you can go to the21strewrite.com. That's spelt with a two and a one, the 21st21strewrite.com, and I'll put the contact details up there. In particular, we'd like to know what you think about the current format and release schedule, because we're releasing one episode every two weeks, but a very long and detailed episode, and we hope that comes across in each recording, just how much work we're doing for you to produce each episode. So I'm not going to take up too much of your time right now, let's go straight into the episode. Hello, and welcome to The 21st Rewrite, the podcast about screenplays written in the 21st century and the process of writing them. I'm William Coldwell, and I'm joined by my good friend and co-host, Alan Vasquez.
1: Yes, and today we are going to be talking about Ex Machina, written and directed by Alex Garland, and it's an original story. Uh, it came out in 2014. I think uh, the script is really great, really solid, and I think it speaks to the script that You know, nothing much was changed from the script to the screen. I think it's pretty much the same film. Even though they had really good actors, uh, which sometimes could add their own lines, it's pretty much the same thing. I think it's a very strong script.
0: Yeah, I also think seeing as Alex was a writer for so long before Mm. becoming a director, he probably has had those moments where directors and actors have changed things that were originally in his vision for the script. Right. And this time he's in full control of it. So That's true. <laughs> maybe yeah. he didn't want to let anyone change anything either. He's That's finally true. got full creative control.
1: Yeah, I can totally see that. But I mean it, you can't really argue too much against like what he wrote. And you know, it feels very organic. It spans seven days exactly. And just the flow of that story within that time frame feels very appropriate.
0: Mm-hmm. He has a very, very good sense of timing mm-hmm. and in especially in terms of finding the best emotional beats, the moment yeah. to raise attention, the moments to raise the stakes, the moments to give you character development. Yeah. Very subtle introduction of key plot devices, the the props that are going to serve the plot later on. Mm. Everything seems to be there for a reason. And it's it's like you say, it would be very hard to dismantle one part of the script without taking down the whole story Mm -hmm. it's all linked together
1: it's a very well crafted story it's almost he's almost like a surgeon in in what you said is true like he'll introduce an idea a prop or something and there's a very specific payoff at very specific points in the film and it's all very meticulously crafted i feel another thing i will say is that you know there's only two human characters in the film and even then i felt that the film could have been it could have been a little longer and I wouldn't have minded I think it's a very short script it's a short film but I feel what he does is he adds so much to these characters it, what is revealed about the characters is through their point of view of the world which I mm-hmm. found really fascinating which we'll get into
0: yeah later on ultimately it's really a film about ideas but the story is built on such firm foundations that it's very easy to explore all of those ideas without feeling derailed at any one point right it all all of the key themes and concepts and questions seem to come up organically as a result of the characters interacting with each other even though this is very meticulously planned on the final version it seems very organic
1: it does and then and that's the other thing that, you know, there's got to be a balance. Sometimes you'll watch a film and it's not not too intellectual. Maybe that's not the right word. But there's too much information and not enough explanation for the audience. So the audience gets a little lost. And I feel like this is just a right balance of science and ideas and themes and all of that. I feel like he strikes the chord where I don't think audiences would feel left out or confused as to what they were talking about.
0: Yeah, so that's why I wanted to do this this story. In particular, I think it's going to be great for anyone who is considering how to improve their writing yes. to take a look at this screenplay, try and figure out how this was done, listen to how we talk about it as well, and see where this goes. We're also going to release an episode on Whiplash, which is another script, which mm. has only two main characters as well. And it's mm. all about the tension between these two. Yeah, so these two episodes are really going to be good introduction to basic concepts of character development and creating conflict. And I feel like this is a really great way to start writing, is to just focus on the main two or three elements in your story Yeah. and see if you can get that to 120 pages, because this is engaging. This. yeah story grips you all the way through. Yeah. You don't need to worry about having a cast of thousands. And they managed to film this on a $15 million budget, Yeah, which they, they also filmed in London, which isn't a cheap place to film. Uh-huh. And most of the budget just went to special effects. Yeah. And they filmed in a single studio, even though there's all this setting of Alaska as well for the outdoor stuff. Mm. But in general, it's mainly filmed indoors. Yeah. There's no windows in a lot of the scenes. So you're able to use these studio settings. And they didn't use green screen as well, which is fascinating. Which, it
1: was that, yeah. that that's the amazing part, you know, and it brings a sense of realism. And when it comes to the artificial intelligence, when it comes to Ava, I think the design of her character is just absolutely amazing. It's um it just strikes the right balance of human like enough to make it feel a little unnerving, but also you're very well aware that she's not a human. And and that's exactly what this film is about. And that's exactly the the themes that are explored. There's that's an extension of the theme, I feel, visually. And another thing I was reading about is like her the special effects. You know, we actually quite simple because they, they only had to focus on one, so that helped. It's not like they had like armies of 10,000 CG characters or a bunch of green screen stuff. That probably helped, you know, it's just pretty much centered on Alicia Vikander and how to like integrate her and make her look like a robot. And it looks really, really good. It hasn't aged at all, I think.
0: Yeah, so we've reached this point now where for very small budgets, relatively small yeah. budgets, it's possible to do yeah. really incredible things. And so for screenwriters who are starting out and are not going to get to do that huge historical drama, yeah. these big casts of thousands, big war scenes, all of that, what can be done to reduce the script to the key elements? Because character can drive storyline just as well. as. Right. In fact, it might be better than the distractions of Big effects and yeah. yeah. Um let's look at the story then. So to begin with, we're introduced to Donald Gleason's character. Mm-hmm. He is a young programmer who works at the biggest search engine in the world, which is not called Google, even though it is yes. it's it's a company that seems to be very similar to that. It's the biggest search engine in the world. They call it Blue Book in in the story. And What is so fantastic about how it's written, the first two or three pages simply get you from him working in his office to going to meet the CEO of his company with almost no dialogue Mm -hmm. and just very small snippets, it, it really does set up the film. And there's there's quite a lot of elements going on there. But essentially what you get is you have the camera. This is, this is pointed out very early on. You get shots of him being monitored by the camera in his own computer. Mm. And that that camera is watching his facial movements. Right, right. So that's already introducing um, a key plot point that will come up later. Or at least part of the world building. The explanation yeah. of how they created artificial intelligence. So Caleb is the name of the character. Caleb is also overjoyed to have been chosen. So there's a sense he's not very high up in the company. He's Mm -hmm. not being regularly introduced to high level people in in this company. He's in the script, he's listed as 24. Mm. In the film, he specifically says he's 26. And I think that's because Donald Gleason is much older than that yeah (laughs) and he just wasn't passing for 24 but he he does pass for 26 (laughs)
1: yeah i mean you go from like the early 20s to slightly later 20s Mm -hmm. which makes sense even then he looks really young for his age
0: he does i I believe he was was 30 30 31 32 when he filmed this yeah. yeah so he he was in his early 30s yeah um yeah and another thing that i really appreciate about the beginning is that And
1: this is something that I see in a lot of independent films, you know, especially with low budget and more, I guess, artsy, is the fact that it can be very slow-paced in the beginning, setting up a character, and they kind of go straight to it. By, I think, minute 12, we're already introduced to Ava. So we get to Nathan fairly quickly. Caleb gets to his property within the first five minutes, and the film and the, the script doesn't really waste any time trying to, I don't know. Trying to create an atmosphere. I mean, it does, but in a very efficient and fast way.
0: It's is that is precisely the word. It's efficient. Yeah, and it also covers the basis of introducing key concepts in a very simple way. Uh, very small lines of dialogue tell you everything. Mm. So, aside from Caleb having won this competition, which it turns out he doesn't really even remember entering. Right. He's talking to the pilot of the helicopter. Who mentions we've been flying over the estate for two hours? That immediately sets up the rules of this world. Yeah. He's a two hour flight away from the rest of civilization at this point. So if anything goes wrong, who is there to help him? So all of these rules start to get introduced. The second is the key card system Mm -hmm. that the machine, that the. The building in which he's going to be staying is run by artificial intelligence. There is a voice that talks to you as you get to a door. Yeah. And there is a key card system, yes. which will open certain doors and not open other ones. And that is expanded on by Nathan when he shows Caleb around the house. Yep. But these rules are set up really quickly and, and
1: organically. And organically. You know, it's not like you never feel like they're setting it up for you. It's very much, we are Caleb. Mm-hmm. And so through Caleb, we are getting the roles. And and yeah, it's a, it's an organic place. Like, you know, he wakes up and he's like, when are we getting to his estate? Oh, we, we've been over his estate. Like that's such an organic way of getting that information. So that's a tip for writers
0: right there. Mm-hmm. So when Nathan is introduced, mm-hmm. Nathan played by Oscar Isaac in a yep. fantastic performance, yes. a complete transformation of of outward appearance and personality and everything, Mm -hmm. we immediately start to sense that there's something kind of odd about Nathan. Yeah. And that is, again, done in very subtle but direct ways. So he's boxing in the morning. He's trying to get out all this energy. Even the fact that he boxes will come in later on. Like I said, everything that Alex Garland introduces in the script tends to come up towards the end as once those rules have been established we kind of can see where this is going to go but we're aware that nathan boxes and we're aware he drinks heavily
1: yeah and i love that line where um there's just kind of that awkward moment between caleb and nathan and and caleb was says you know how was the party only to realize that well there was no party he's just (laughs) drinking by himself uh, and uh yeah that's awkward pointing out that to someone <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh you're doing it by yourself uh again you that is a revelation of something about nathan it reveals mm-hmm. something about him
0: yep and it's and he's isolated right now yes. we know he's isolated yeah. out of choice he's the right he's a 30 something billionaire who happened to found a company that became extremely successful beyond his wildest dreams. He was in the right place at the right time. Right. But at heart, he's a hacker and someone who's interested in information technology, mm-hmm. interested in creating things rather than just making money. So there's a hollowness in him in that sense that just yeah. having the money doesn't really mean anything. He's not one of those people who got into business driven by the money he has succeeded due to the fact he was very talented and there at the right time
1: yeah yeah and you kind of get that sense from him you know he everything that he talks about has to do with theory and it, intellect and and it has nothing to do with money i think the right off the bat i found him a fascinating character just the way he kind of cuts through the bullshit with with caleb when he tells them like you know you're freaked out right now let's not pretend kind of an icebreaker and he's just kind of a very real character i mean a real person Mm -hmm. He just wants to connect on a human basis and not so much
0: deal with pretenses Mm -hmm. and but the power dynamic will always make it hard for them to really bond yeah and that's something despite his intentions and again we're not sure what his true intentions really are Mm -hmm. in bringing caleb here because I do feel that events kind of get out of his control, ultimately. Right. But as a way of trying to establish a friendship with Caleb, there's always going to be this lingering thing in the background, which is that he's set up this house with this, this key card system where he has access to certain places and Caleb doesn't. Uh, he is still Caleb's boss. Caleb feels right. that if he says something wrong, he he could be fired. He could upset him and be out of the company. Right. So there's all, and then there's going to be a non disclosure agreement, which is like a legal thing that's going to be enforced on Caleb yeah. that Nathan isn't par- party to. So right. all of these things are going to affect their ability to, to truly bond, I think.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's always that. And as much as, um, nathan wants to connect on a human level uh they kind of just get to the point right away almost you know he's just very anxious to let him know why he's there and i love the the whole introducing him to the house gives him the key card and says i'll make it easy for you you know if if it opens the door for you that means you're allowed in if it doesn't that means you're not and i i think Again, efficient, you know, we're kind of moving along. The fact that we're getting to the AI real fast is because Nathan just really just wants to get to it. And, mm-hmm. then, and again, it's kind of driven by character. All these things, the reason why they're so organic is because it's coming from
0: the character's perspective and it makes sense. I think it's worth discussing very quickly that, yeah, that initial scene where he gets Caleb to sign. Yes, because that is there's a that's a really nicely done scene in terms of explaining something to the audience when this is always going to be a tough thing for a writer is how do you get two characters who know what they're talking about to naturally discuss what it is they're talking about and give the audience a little bit of basic information right and it's done so well in the scene that nathan kind of stares him down and says do you know what the turing test is right and Caleb is says yes, but Nathan keeps staring at him, as in give me, like prove it to me that you know, and that then allows the audience to hear what that is, because not everyone in the audience is going to know what that is. It's probably going to be the first time they're introduced to that concept. Despite the information age we're living in, we haven't really thought about that on a public level.
1: Of I wasn't very well aware of that at all. Yeah,
0: how do we know yeah. if what we're talking to is really a person on the other end of that that chat line or if it's mm. a computer-generated mm. thing. But that question has been around since the 50s with Alan yeah. Turing.
1: Right. Yeah, and actually um, Gleason's performance sells that too, you know, just like mm-hmm. his reaction to it of like, because he has no idea why he's there. Yes. And at this point, we don't either as mm-hmm. the audience. And his response is just, that's your first sort of, level of intrigue as mm-hmm. an audience like oh this is something monumental you know and again that's what the performance does for it and then yes and then he explains that the turing it's if you're talking to a computer and you don't realize it's a computer then it's artificial intelligence you know you're mm-hmm. fooled into thinking that this is a human mm-hmm. and so that is why he's there to do the test on. exactly
0: And this is the Turing test with a twist because Nathan says, I could fool you easily if you just spoke to Ava and she was in another room. What I want to do is show you she's a robot and still see if I can trick you. I love that. So he's raised the stakes, and that gets us as the audience engaged because we're suddenly not watching a film about some abstract concept and caleb's going to be sat in a room talking to <laughs> to a computer right right this is what this is going to be about and we are going to witness this along with him this machine that appears to be human yeah but very much isn't it is definitely an artificial life form right that scene ends with a great quote as well so this is the scene where oh that's Caleb, right yes. And the, and this quote really this is this is a good quote because it's a good one of Caleb's quotes, and it will also come up later uh, in terms of developing Nathan's character, how he misremembers this quote. Oh, yeah. And Caleb, he's so excited by the concept, but he says, if you've created a conscious machine, it's not the history of man, it's the history of gods. Yeah. And Nathan will misremember this as being told he was a god for creating right. artificial life. And we'll probably talk later on about our concepts of whether or not we think artificial life is even possible, but for the mystery and magic of cinema, at this point, anything is possible, right? Right. So the intrigue is set up, and now the next step is, well, we want to see this thing. We want to see what is it he's made. The non-disclosure agreement's been signed, so that's what's going to take us to the next scene.
1: Yeah, so uh, after that, yes, we follow Caleb into meeting Ava. And I love the the, the introduction to Ava. And and th- this to me is something that struck me and, and it's something that I kept wondering about, you know, throughout the whole film was mm, she's not looking at him when he walks in and she senses his presence and then she turns, which that in itself that's what what do you think about that because we have that as humans you mm. know when that feeling of like we feel like someone's looking at us and we turn and sure enough someone might be staring at us if an artificial intelligence does that what signals are they receiving that makes them turn and acknowledge or you know
0: i think this is going to link into the larger question of what is consciousness anyway but consciousness is part physical it's part of the body and it also seems to be something else yeah that is not just to say otherwise there couldn't be death if the body was consciousness there couldn't be death because Mm. there is an end to consciousness even though the body remains right Mm -hmm. so there is a sense that whatever is built into Ava's body there could be Certain types of sensor of we don't know vibrations, that's temperature. That's we don't know how much Nathan has put into this this machine, but what we do know is that it is probably the most high tech machine on planet Earth at this time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's all we know. Yeah. And if he has introduced elements that would give it almost a sixth sense, that that would be very Nathan.
1: Yeah, definitely. To give
0: to give away that sense of picking up on subtle vibrations in a room or changes right. in atmospheric temperature, whatever it is he's doing, yeah. he's put it all in because he. And this is like the this is, I believe, his ninth attempt at doing this. That will be revealed a bit later on as right. well. At first, we think this is the first thing he's he's ever made. Yeah, yeah. This is a very highly developed version of what he's been working on
1: definitely yeah so i'll just put that out there and then once we get more in depth about consciousness because this is a very intriguing idea for me that yeah we'll get into it later on Mm -hmm. so yeah so we get that introduction and we finally have caleb meeting ava and i think their introduction is very uh i don't know if it's the way it's shot or anything but it's just like sucks you in And I really liked his performance in it. You know, there's this part kind of testing her, part intrigued by her, probably part attracted to her, just
0: based on her her face. Yeah, I think that's immediately evident, is that he is disarmed by the fact that he finds her so attractive.
1: Yeah, and very Mm human-like, which probably makes it even more confusing for him.
0: Yes. You know... And again, I think this really works with the sense of character we already have. We have a sense that he's a computer coder. He's, yeah. He's, he probably wasn't the most popular guy at high school, Mm -hmm. but he's one of those guys who went on to be very successful Mm -hmm. out of his intellect alone. Yeah. And then that kind of puts him in an interesting position as a 20 something who, Probably feels quite socially awkward. Mm -hmm. And then he's being confronted with this. Well, this is a once in a lifetime. Only one person has ever experienced this kind of experience that he's dealing with. So he's feeling slightly scared by it, I suppose.
1: Yeah. And she brings that up. Yeah. You know, the other thing about her is that she's been programmed to detect, you know, facial recognition. So there's really no lying with her. She can detect exactly kind of configure what you're thinking feeling type of thing mm-hmm. and he's very unnerved by that as well the fact that he you know all of a sudden
0: he's vulnerable you know he can't really lie Nathan certainly also mentioned at one point that communication isn't all words it's not all people talking yeah there, there's so much more given away in communication Yeah, and I think that really shows you the extent to which he's developed this so-called intelligence it's not just including a sense of the meaning of words which is tough enough anyway but it's also the meaning of facial expressions and from an acting perspective as well you know that tears of joy and tears of sadness look different yeah they, they do. And we as humans somehow recognize the difference between those two things, even though how would you teach a machine that difference?
1: Yeah, exactly. Mm. And I think it's a very, uh, you know, whenever you see someone, there's just a natural innate ability that we have to be empathetic to what the other person might be going through. Mm. We just know by default what that is. And one of the things that he brought up was language. You know, he says, uh, when did you learn to to speak? And she kind of thinks about it for a second. And she says she didn't learn. She just knew, which she mentions is kind of weird, probably, because that's not how humans, Mm -hmm. you know, they get to learn the language. And then he says something very interesting. He said that actually there's some scientists that believe that we are born with the innate already there, like the innate ability to to, to know a language it's just like learning how to attach words to that sort of pattern recognition in our voice to to express and communicate which i found really interesting
0: yes i mean it is true that you can imprint any language onto any child yeah that is if there is nothing inherently within me to have learned the specific language I speak and I could have, if I was brought up in China, have spoken Chinese instead. Yeah. It's, yeah. But Ava is programmed and that is a difference. And he's trying to find a way to commune, to, to find common. He's trying to find common ground with her mm-hmm. by saying that. But I think he knows inside that there is a difference. Ava has been programmed she she's essentially based on some sort of cloud model of information yeah which is really fascinating as a concept anyway in a way she's a culmination
1: of all the knowledge of humanity up to that point especially since she's like the latest version that he's developed i I don't know if it's in this conversation that's mentioned that she's the reason why she can be so expressive is because of the search engine you know, mm-hmm. blue book. That will
0: be, yeah. That's revealed a little bit yeah. later. Yeah,
1: but you know, you get the idea that she's the culmination of the knowledge of
0: humanity up to that point. Hmm. Yeah. One more thing that they talk about that's really interesting as well. Nice bit of dialogue. Maybe this one doesn't really give you anything to the plot, but it's just one. It's it's written really well into the script hmm. because he he calls it. The, a typical non sequitur that often gives away artificial intelligence. And it's when Caleb asks her how old she is.
1: Yeah, and I actually had to look up that word because I didn't know what that meant.
0: A non sequitur? Yeah, yeah. so
1: th- then the, the definition for that was perfect, which is, you know, when there's a gap in a flow, you mm-hmm. know, what is said doesn't quite organically match with what was just said. Mm-hmm. You know, and then when yeah, he asks how old she was. She says one and he says one day, one year and she just says one. So, I'm just one. So there's like a, a I guess a glitch,
0: not a glitch, but there's that well um, it makes sense if you think of software. If you are version 1, you are version 1. It is not it could be version 1 released on this day. Yeah there's no specific point in time in which the next software update might come. So she's yeah. just one and I love that because she doesn't this is one of the most revealing things. She doesn't realize how that would give away that she is not the same as Caleb yeah. that she's not human because humans think of themselves in terms of well this might be cultural of course but within our culture and that's the the culture she's also been based on because Mm. she speaks english Mm -hmm. within our culture we think of ourselves in terms of how many years old we are and maybe young children add in months as well yep but that's basically it
1: yeah no and i like that and then that really became clear to me reading the script you know in the in the film it's just kind of like a a look from him like Ah, maybe you're not. Like, maybe that's like the first kind of like X. Like, mm-hmm. that's not up to par with, with what? An artificial intelligence. And uh, yeah, no, it was, it's a very fascinating scene in terms of just the acting as well. Because right off the bat, you just buy her as a robot. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a full-on performance. There was no CG. There was no, you know, motion capture in terms of the face. Like, she was actually there performing the scene. And just the way she just sold that, you know, you, you believe that as a robot, there's like just enough of a blank stare in her eyes, but also enough humanness in it. And that's very specific in the script as well. Yes. It says that
0: pretty much what I just said. You it know. looks like a strange parody of humanity, mm. which is why it's so unnerving, but there's just enough of it there's just enough humanity in it to this is also a case in computer games that this has come up that there was a point where things were 2D and cartoony and then you had very blocky 3D and there's right. a point that was reached around the kind of around the PlayStation 2 PlayStation 3 kind of era where they were trying to emulate more realistic looking characters and it created this very surreal depending on the quality of the game in question of course but that so much of it looked so passable as realistic and then little things would give it away as being part of a computer game and that that really unnerves us because it just seems we we would almost prefer to look at cartoon characters than something that so closely resembles humanity, but isn't human. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. Th- That's what unnerves us. No, yeah, yeah. The, the, the
1: closeness of it. And I mean, just imagine being in that situation.
0: But uh, the other thing I wanted to bring up really quickly uh-huh. on that is uh, the additional research. Seeing as Ex Machina is an original story. Yeah. The additional research I did on this one was reading a bit of uh, a physicist called Sir Roger Penrose who wrote a very influential book on artificial intelligence back mm. in the 80s.
1: Okay.
0: He didn't believe it was possible. So he's he's a very interesting person to look at because he he really wanted to get quantum physics involved in figuring out whether or not it was possible mm. to have a fully conscious machine. Not, mm. not if it could pass the Turing test. He says, absolutely. Machines have and will pass the Turing test. But in terms of those, those weird giveaways, it's the things that there are things that will trick machines that based on the complexity of the way we phrase something, we can drop things that are impossible into conversation, such as a, I think the example he used was something along the lines of, there was a flying rhinoceros and something like that, mm-hmm. and that the computer responded to it would give away, whereas a, a real person would say, well, that doesn't make any sense. What are you talking about? Right, right. The, the point at which we question whether something makes sense, that's what will give away the AI part of it so in order for it to be fully fully convincing or really even prove that it's thinking for itself would be for it to show that very complicated absurd statements that sound real don't make sense got it while also maintaining and i'm just adding on to penrose doesn't mention this but When someone makes a mythological or religious claim about, let's say, a god of rain bringing the rain, it would be very hard for an AI to maintain the same level of belief that a human can in these things. Because an AI might say, oh, well, in my database it says that the rain is created by this thing and cannot be created by spirits or gods. But humans are perfectly capable of believing that. Mm. So... Mm. That these are the little things that really, once we get into the ideas... So AIs are smarter. <laughs> well, this is the other thing. He says it would be really hard to do the opposite test where a person imitates a machine because you would just ask it a very complicated sum. The machine would do it in a second and the human would be stuck. <laughs> that is true. So we can't... Yeah. The, we're so different that... It's probably easier to do the Turing test the other way around, have a machine emulate us rather mm. than us emulate them. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Great. So after this after this key scene, the first encounter, Caleb retreats to his bedroom. He wakes up in the night. This is an interesting thing. Yeah. I think this tells you a little bit about how unnerved he feels in the house, anyway. He's not really able to fully switch off and sleep a nice eight hour sleep that first night he's right. he's kind of waking up feeling unsafe mm. he might not know why but he's getting that that sixth sense of course yeah. of about this place and then he turns on the TV only to find that he has a CCTV link to ava's room so he's able to watch ava from his room right which i think is kind of nathan's mind games at play there there's no other reason for it
1: i agree i mean why would it so blatantly just be accessible Mm -hmm. to him that mean, obviously this is a an experiment for nathan you know this is we'll get to the revelation of why he did and what he did exactly but this is pretty much a a first clue he's kind of laying down little breadcrumbs for him and and then and, and you get that i think he's, as an audience yeah
0: he's trying to get caleb obsessed in some way i
1: think right and especially uh because of what he sees her doing i think she's drawing mm-hmm. yeah you know and and then that comes into play the next time they meet you know so it's almost like it's a very specific thing and i don't know if this is something he made her do or she's just doing on her own but i Do you think she mentions that she's been? She doesn't know why she's been drawing, but she just draws. And obviously, I think maybe that part is programmed by. I don't know. It just raises those questions, like the free will thing. Mm -hmm. You know, is she doing this because she feels an urge, to to draw, or Mm -hmm. she was specifically programmed
0: by Nathan to draw at a certain time? There's definitely a sense, uh, probably this idea I've developed from. Hearing about like Nelson Mandela's story, mm. that when someone is imprisoned for mm. a reason that they can't justify, that those creative senses kind of come out as well, trying mm-hmm. to find ways to to continue doing things within that confined environment. And there, there's right. a different sense when someone is they feel justly punished for something they've done, and then there's just unfair imprisonment, which is kind of what's happened to Ava. If she truly is a sentient being, she's been born into this glass cage and that's where she lives and she's not allowed out of it. So that drawing is kind of a a way of creating a free space on the page. Mm -hmm. And at, at first she's not drawing anything in particular. It's just almost like her mind is wandering because there's nowhere else to wander physically in that in that space, yeah. it seems.
1: That's an interesting point. Um, mm. That makes a lot of sense. It's just uh, your mind is trying to liberate itself or there's just this need to to extend your consciousness, you know. Uh, yeah, never, I didn't see it that way before.
0: I'm not sure if Ava is. I think there's subtle hints throughout the story that she is in some way linked up to the house beyond what she tells everyone. Mm-hmm. She certainly doesn't have the power to override any of the house's controls. But there is a sense that when Caleb is watching her on the screen, she knows it. Yeah. In a later scene, she looks directly into the camera while he's watching. And in this one, the power cut hits. And at this time, we don't know why there are power cuts. But it does set up one of the last rules of of the setting... And that is the power cuts can happen. And when the power cuts happen, Nathan can't watch what's going on and that everyone is locked in because Caleb starts banging on his door. He realizes he can't get out of his bedroom. Yes. So that really sets up rules which are essential for the ending. Mm-hmm. All of these things will come together. It's the the power cuts, the key cards, and the fact the key cards don't work when there's a power cut. Yep. There's a, the fact they two hours flight away from anyone else it's this huge in their place up in alaska that they can yeah. be locked in yeah. and that nathan boxes as well all of these things will come into play in those final scenes yeah yeah definitely because he's a formidable enemy he's powerful as well spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we can drop that <laughs> no one. i know
1: yeah. you everyone listening should have seen the film yep uh yes so
0: uh next day the next day, Caleb goes to Nathan. They they want to have a bit of a chat. Nathan wants to have some beers with him. As, oh, that's right. as he usually does. Yeah. And definitely, their conversations start to get more into the real meat of the ideas of the film. That that starts to happen. They they do talk. When they do talk, it is about AI in general. Yeah. Um, although in this early. Uh, scene. Caleb is very enthusiastic about talking about all of the mechanics behind it. And Nathan says, I just want to Can't We just chill out and have a couple of beers and be two guys for once.
1: And this is very clever of Alex, because, you know, you have, I mean, most people wouldn't want to listen to that Mm -hmm. as an audience member. Do you really want to learn all these? I mean, listen to all these very alien words that explain these mechanics you know he knows very well that he's going to lose the audience if they start talking about that so in a very organic way because it's very true to nathan's character he mm-hmm. doesn't want to talk about that stuff he just wants to get to like you say the meat the and this his whole you know? life
0: that's the thing yeah. we, we know he's the, the all of the choices that characters make in this film make sense and we think well nathan's whole life seems to be living in isolation and working on ai so maybe he doesn't want to talk about it when there's finally another person <laughs> around it's like him. you know
1: what is it i don't want to talk about how i did it i want to talk about what it means yeah you know what do you think you know yeah. what i mean it's like and it makes total sense so then yeah so this is where it kind of jumps into the themes of the film and talks about and Caleb's perspective is well. His answer to that is that he thinks she's brilliant, and I think that's what Nathan is trying to draw from Caleb. He's trying to draw emotion, trying to draw like what does he feel about her, Mm -hmm. because that's what he asks: like, what do you feel? Because to him, that's that's another clue to what his experiment is. Now that he's created her, like, what is the implications of AI interacting with humans, interacting with everything? Because that would be the next logical step right that's what he's preparing for Mm -hmm. you know he's been kind of with her one-on-one and now i feel like he's maybe on the verge of taking taking it public because no one knows what he's doing so
0: this is the first test of that so the next scene is uh caleb and ava again yes he returns and he starts asking her about her drawings Mm -hmm. i think this is when she says she doesn't know what she's drawing and he, I think
1: this is the moment where he kind of intrigues her by asking her, well, what do you want to draw? think it hadn't occurred to her that she had an option. Or I think there's now all of a sudden a, a new depth of awareness when before she was just kind of automatically drawing, which this later comes into play later on in the film into a conversation, which I find is kind of a theme in the film. Uh, she's just kind of doing an automatic sort of
0: yeah, painting. No, and now that you mention that, th- this happens with children as well. That they do like to just colour, mm-hmm. uh, like squiggly lines, yeah. and just and just do anything. And yeah. it does take an adult to to kind of guide them into. Why don't you try and draw mum and dad or something? Mm-hmm. And then the kid starts to do rudimentary circles for faces and ovals for bodies and things like that and in, it's like this sense you you might have inherent ability so Ava might for all we know she's probably got every Renaissance masterpiece saved in right as an image file up in her head yeah but she doesn't have a concept of drawing, something that she is experiencing until caleb raises that as an idea you yeah. can draw whatever you want and suddenly she thinks oh it could be a thing as opposed to just me moving the pen around in and making shapes and colors. or not really colors she's in a black and white world it seems at this point but mm. yeah definitely
1: i think you know she we start to see kind of an attraction that's coming from her as well like she you can really see how she's very curious about him mm-hmm. and and I think uh, you know Nate, Nathan and Caleb talk about this later on where this is the first well she mentions this is the first person she's seen other than than Nathan you know and it's and it's a boy and she's been programmed to have a sexuality so naturally she's becoming attracted to him and i think just him giving her that that attention kind of just amplifies that for her but also while i was watching it, it made me wonder if she was just not pretending but kind of i, th-
0: I do think there's projecting. a sense of manipulation yeah. underlying it and that i think that's the biggest question mark of the whole story yeah is the extent to which her interactions with Caleb are authentic in any way, or if she is completely masterminding some manipulation of him from the very beginning. And there is a sense that Caleb's kind of the victim of both Nathan and and Ava throughout this story. So it's hard to tell. Nathan certainly is manipulating him. I think that's very clear, Mm. but he doesn't have the force in in that great big strategy of trying to get someone to do what you want them to do. it It's not working out for right. Nathan in the same way. But Ava uses this fact that she has the, the body, the outward appearance of something that Caleb finds attractive. Yeah. She uses that fact, yeah. as opposed to the opposite, which is that, I think this is the initial thing that you think when you first read this story or first watch this film is that she is almost like this little girl, this this innocent female kind of character. Yeah. Towards the end, I think I'll try and develop my thoughts on that, but just for now, we'll leave that as a question. Yeah. Is she manipulating Caleb or is she really a female consciousness that has these desires and wants to get close to him in this scene she asks him if he's single and it really catches him off guard and that's one of those things that could be interpreted either way right it's a very direct question i also love how that has some very facebooky language to it is your status single as opposed to are you single which is what a a human (laughs) would say she she has that uh internet vocabulary built into her such another one of those weird giveaways by asking is your status signal
1: yeah and 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 she just blatantly asked if he's attracted to her as well you know i think she's I, i
0: think she's both curious and there's a level of manipulation you know and definitely one of the bits that comes up now which i think is one of the best techniques and why all of this world and all of these rules were built up. Yeah. The power cut that happens in the middle of this conversation mm. and she asks him is Nathan really your friend? It, re- it this does everything. It makes us suddenly as an audience feel insecure about Caleb's position in this house. Yeah, so this pa- this power cut is orchestrated to ensure that she can talk to Caleb without being monitored. Mm. and ask him directly about his thoughts on Nathan. Mm. And I, I just think it's really well written to do it this way. And the only thing that's interesting about the script that didn't entirely make it through into the film, and maybe this is because it kind of got handed over to character design at this point, but in the script she's described as looking more human in the dark light. Oh, yeah. which i'm not sure really happens in the That's in right. the film because she has a lot of internal lights that kind of glow yeah and still give away that she's a robot but in the script it says that she looks more human in the dark light which i thought was a kind of nice touch
1: yeah yeah that definitely doesn't the way it was shot we don't really get that from the film mm-hmm. but you're but yeah this is the moment i think where the film shifts tremendously this is all of a sudden Nathan is in question. His character is in question. As an audience, now we're questioning his true motives. If and if there was suspicion before, now there's definite intrigue as to who he is, what he wants, and now we're we're kind of on Ava's side in a way, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, this now, is definitely
0: what gets us to yeah. to root for Ava and Caleb. Yeah, because That's now you're,
1: Yeah, because now you're wondering, like, well, what does she know that? She's not really telling us because she doesn't really give away too much. She just pretty much says, "You shouldn't trust him." And he says, "Well, you know, he he's a liar." And then he asks, "What what what is he lying about?" And she says, "Everything." And by saying everything,
0: she's saying nothing at all to the audience because now we're that could mean anything. All we know is that her only interactions up until this point have been with Nathan. Uh-huh. So in some way, we get a sense that he is abusing or deceiving her and yeah. she's aware of it that yeah. she has picked up on the fact he is not to be trusted yep it is a conclusion she's come to by herself yeah but we will later see in his interactions with her as well that it doesn't seem like he 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 has a sense which i think is actually a more logical sense a more natural way of approaching it sometimes which is that he treats his machines as machines Mm. he doesn't necessarily ascribe to them the consciousness which he claims they have he still thinks they should ultimately be there to serve him that's true and this is where the ethical question of artificial intelligence comes in the hugest part of it is if you do create something that is conscious what right do you have to tell it what to do? Is that not slavery?
1: Mm, yeah, no, absolutely. And that, that's a very intriguing question. And then that's when we, yeah, we see the difference between Caleb and Nathan—the way they approach her and artificial intelligence, their point of view on the on the topic in general—it
0: it reveals a lot about them. And the, the next scene is really telling on this as well, because it's, mm. it's a scene I really want to just jump over very quickly. Sure. But it's just the one where Kyoko spills the wine. Yeah. And Nathan really treats her in an inhuman way. And on a second or third watch or read of this, that makes complete sense because yeah. we know who Kyoko is. But at the time we think she's his kind of Japanese... Servant slash masseuse who doesn't speak any English, yeah, and we think it's appalling the way he's talking to her and and everything like that. Yeah, we'll we'll soon find out more about Kyoko's story. Yeah, the only other thing that's interesting in that scene as well is that it's when Nathan challenges Caleb a little bit on what happened during the power cut, and Nathan Mm. uh, and Caleb manages to divert that to the time she made a joke, which was right. very interesting, right. just in terms of the level of AI. That's the thing that gets both of their brains engaged again. It's like, yeah, how, how did this machine make a joke?
1: Yeah. No, that was really well written and also very well acted. I think that was one scene that I was very into, and just in terms of at the performance, because there's this level of tension, and there's also this level of uh, open-ended because at that point, based on his uh, Oscar Isaac's performance, you're thinking, does he suspect him? Does he even did he does he know? Because you know mm-hmm. me watching it, I remember
0: the first time. I thinking, think he does suspect him immediately, yeah. but yeah. we know, and we'll see more of this from Nathan as as the story progresses. Yeah, he's very good at lying directly to Caleb's face. Oh yeah, and pretending. I think even the drinking part, even though the. I do think he has a serious drinking problem. And he actually, that is one of the things that makes him slip up in his control of the situation. Mm. But I think a lot of what he does around Caleb is intentional to lull him into a false sense of security to reveal things that maybe he wouldn't have if he thought Nathan was really monitoring everything. So if he'd pushed that point on the power cuts... Right, maybe Caleb would avoid power cut situations in the future, for example, whereas Nathan would rather note it up in his head and then figure out a way to monitor during the next power cut.
1: Yeah, no, that's
0: you, you said it perfectly.
1: Even though, as an audience, I remember the first time watching it, thinking that maybe he knows
0: exactly what went on. Yeah, I, you I know? like. I think Caleb believes this initially, right? He thinks Nathan might be causing the power cuts as part of the experiment until Ava reveals it's her that's doing it. Exactly, exactly. So that takes care of that. Uh, Yes, so um, jumping to... what is It kind of jumps back and forth between conversations and there's nice little scenes in between that show the passing of days. Yeah. Uh, The time frame is really hard for people to follow visually because the days in alaska are so long so you actually have daylighting written into the script pretty much all the time (laughs) so even though it might be 10 o'clock at night it's still light because they're in alaska in summer which is kind of
1: insane which is really crazy i've never experienced that i only experienced that like um a couple times in vancouver Mm -hmm. because it's really up north and i remember there was i didn't even notice it until it was like nine something And there was still daylight, like very, very little. But I remember thinking, it's nine. How is there like a little bit of daylight? Well, if you go a bit
0: further north, I think they're in a place in Alaska where the nights are as short as about four hours during summer. Wow! So they're very far north because there is a sense that the sun really isn't setting until after 10 p.m., maybe even 11. That's crazy. That's pretty cool. So yeah, a lot of these are called days, but really they're very long days. And we do bounce back to another another scene where mm-hmm. it's Caleb and Ava. The most important part of this is that we have a motivation for Ava introduced in that scene, which is a very simple thing. And it's almost unnoticeable when you first hear it, but it's that she, where would she go if she was out of this room? She says mm-hmm. it would be a busy traffic intersection where she could watch people yep and that that's that plays a a part in the end yeah and she she gets so excited you see her eyes light up yeah when she mentions it Mm -hmm. and i really love that because suddenly this if we talk about characters motivation is so important to characters it explains the choices they make it drives story forward it allows us to to either connect with them or disagree with them. If their motivation is something we disagree with if they're a villain, right? Yep. So with Ava, it's such a unlikely thing for a human to want to do. Yeah. But we accept it as her motivation is if she could get out of that room, she would go somewhere where she could watch people, a busy traffic intersection. And I love that. And it really is something. It's not just introduced as a nice piece of dialogue. Yes. it's actually going to turn out to be the primary motivator of a lot of her decision making
1: <laughs> yeah and and, it, and it's something that we can feel that maybe that's just not programming like this is a genuine want that was that was a result of everything that she's been experiencing up to this point mm-hmm. now there's a genuine desire and i think that's the root of the root of a character like you were saying is you know, what is it that they want? And I think uh, I recently um, heard this piece of advice for acting. And I believe it was Natalie Portman, who actually appears in Annihilation, which is Alex Garland's falling film. Side note. But uh, she said that when she approaches a character, one of the fundamental questions is, what is this character's desires? What does this character want? Ultimately, that's what makes us human. You know, we all want something at one point or another. Like, there's always this drive. Desire is at the root of creation, any creation, even humanity. Two people desire each other, boom, you have a baby. Like, it's the root of existence in a way, any type of existence. And now we have Ava who expresses a desire that's not necessarily programmed
0: i think it's a result of all this data that she's I, yeah i think it i think it's based in the history of her in the sense that, as she was built from a cloud as she was built from mm-hmm. an amalgamation of data from millions and millions of users it's like the central point of the cross for her to go to go mm-hmm. to the center of the world for her would be a place where there's thousands of people crossing each other every day because that is kind of what she is she Mm -hmm. is not an individual because she's built on millions and millions of search requests and footage of webcam videos and things like that she's built on all of the people so the most people she could see, it would kind of give her a center in the world, as opposed to this glass box where she's isolated from everyone right. who she was based on. Right. So it does make sense. And I yeah. I think that's why it really works, as yeah, it might not be something that any of us would consider important, yeah. but we can see it within her character, why it would be yeah. important to her. Absolutely. And then she talks about people watching and
1: wanting to go on a day with, with Caleb, which I think at this point, that's maybe manipulation she's kind of playing on his attraction towards her because she obviously knows that he is and i think yeah looking back on it now that must have been a bit of an act Hmm.
0: i feel well nathan and this is the next scene nathan will introduce the the talk of sexuality to caleb Mm -hmm. and nathan has directly created his robot to be sexual yeah. in many different ways and he does have a logical basis behind it yes. because he says that without sexuality you you wouldn't have a need to connect to other people therefore it is necessary if he he can't cre- he doesn't want to create this machine that wants to live in its own isolated world he wants it to connect with other people Machine, so he introduced mm. sexuality into it as part of the building of the of the robot. Right. Uh, Caleb raises the obvious question, which is, why do this? We have sexuality as a reproductive need. Mm. Robots don't need to reproduce, mm. but Nathan seems to have justified it to himself, at least. Even if his reasoning isn't perfect, he seems to think that consciousness requires interaction to exist. And he thinks sexuality is fun. That's what he calls it. And I, then I think that betrays a little bit about his, his weird relationship with robots that we'll learn more about. But <laughs> yeah. he thinks sexuality should be fun. So he's also introducing that dynamic of, look, I can make this. And I'm. he was a 13-year-old hacker who became a billionaire, right? Yeah, maybe he, on some level, has a strange. Re- we know he's he's living in isolation. We know he doesn't have a partner, a female, like real woman who he right. he loves. So yeah, they, he might just have this weird kind of kind of domination uh, sense of romance. You know, where he wants to instead of having romance between two individuals mm. who have their own ambitions or goals and whatever, he's kind of in that sense of he wants to get what he wants every time
1: he wants to have someone submissive yes. and and also i think well i mean he his two reasons kind of make sense to me like on the one hand you have a very sort of very intriguing question that we could probably talk for hours which is does consciousness require interaction that's a very very deep question that we could probably get into but i i do i do like his second response which is like why not fuck why, if you're gonna like he says, if you're gonna exist, why not? Why not have fun? Sexuality is fun.
0: Yeah, and uh, so there's this idea that in order to have Penrose actually talks about this in his book as well. He mm-hmm. he says, in order to have pain, you need to have pleasure. Yeah. So you could have some sort of detector in your robot that has a scale of minus one hundred to one hundred. 100 Mm. being the best pleasure the robot can possibly feel and minus 100 is the most excruciating pain and that if you need it to recharge its batteries in the same way that we feel hunger as a slight discomfort at first, maybe we would call hunger a minus 10 on our our meter. I don't
1: know, I'd call it a minus 40 for me. Sure, well, this is where I'm going (laughs) to go
0: is what happens if you don't eat for three days straight? Where does Mm. it go to then? What happens if you haven't eaten for seven days? Right. It's going to get closer and closer to the 100. So it's like Nathan is seeing that concept as well. If mm. I'm going to have if, if I need my conscious being to react to stimuli, I need to give it a reason to doing things that are pleasurable for it right and a reason for doing things to avoid the pain as well recharging things like that. And then if that really does happen, if you create conscious beings, then there's an ethical question of why you would give it pain at all.
1: Yeah. That, well, I mean, then you're just playing the God card, you know. Yes. It's Well, I guess...
0: If it's a real thing, if it's a real pain, why would you give it pain? Why do we feel pain? You know what I mean? It's, well, that's the, that's the hardest one that people... I saw a film yesterday that had that very question. Mm. It was about a, a religious conflict and one of the characters asked, Why did God create us to if suffer. and to suffer? It's one of the most constant human questions. It's it's coming up all the time. Yeah. If there is a creator, why suffering? Yeah. But if we create something and we truly believe it is conscious, what right did we have to give it pain? Yeah, that's a very interesting you could because argue. Because the, the, the yeah. opposite is true as well. Why would you give it pleasure? Right. Which is what Nathan's doing, considering what pleasure can do to people. Mm-hmm. Addiction is pleasure, essentially a, a problem with pleasure That's stimuli true. as well. Right. So. That is an interesting question.
1: I mean, I think, uh, I feel that without the pain, you don't really know what pleasure. I, I feel like they're kind of a, I don't know. That's a very, when applying it to an artificial intelligence, if you're just giving it pleasure, because we never see her go through pain any, at any time we, in we, the film. We, we? see,
0: um, like, does she ever express pain? No, but we do see an earlier version of Nathan's robots. This is jumping way ahead when Caleb oh, discovers true. footage true. of yeah. the previous iterations that mm-hmm. Nathan had created. One that is so traumatized about being stuck in the box that it mm. breaks its own arms into pieces trying to break out, and that mm. really looks like pain on the surface from from the outside view for us. That definitely looks like emotional. Pain. Pain. It looks like suffering and pain. Yeah, yeah, yes,
1: that's definitely true. And she does express sadness. Yeah, that she does do. So yeah, um, but does, does that kind of manifest itself organically, or did he specifically program that? You know. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think question.
0: the programming of Ava is beyond Nathan at this point. As in, once he'd loaded in so much from the cloud, there's a lot of stuff in there that he isn't fully aware is inside it. Yeah, And that is probably why he's keeping her under lock.
1: It's taking a life of
0: its own, yeah. in a way.
1: It's like, you know, in the wise words of Jurassic Park, life finds a way. <laughs>
0: Nathan does say he programmed her to be heterosexual, mm-hmm. which he says, just like you, Caleb, were programmed to be heterosexual. Right. He does put up a weak argument against that and is instantly shot down. It was either nature or nurture or both. You were programmed in some way, and I like I like that response. It's a very it's the it's the ultimate twenty first century response to the question of sexuality. It's not yeah. it's not to do with psychology or we'll, we'll be looking at another screenplay at one point where about the times when homosexuality was criminalized, stuff like that, you know, uh, the, the 21st century responses, it's some sort of programming inside you. you. When people say they were born that way, it doesn't necessarily mean just on day one, they had a sexuality and it was defined. It just means it's something to do with nature, nurture, or both? <laughs> I think, yeah. I think it's probably a little bit of both. I think. But Nathan says he directly made Ava heterosexual. So right. he was playing the God role a little bit there.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because you are programming her in a very specific way. And also, does sexuality become fluid at any point? Which is another interesting question. Anyways, that's an intriguing question for me. And I think that's not explored, obviously, in the film.
0: No, but it is just... To tie that back into Caleb, for example, mm-hmm. and Nathan's role in trying to dictate this, he's made Ava attractive to Caleb, and he's programmed Ava to be heterosexual. Yeah. So those are two things we know he does specifically. Mm-hmm. So he is trying to game that. Whatever the underlying uh, formation of the sexuality, he's trying to game that system to his own advantage (laughs) yeah for the purposes of this yeah he's
1: he's got his own agenda behind that for sure
0: uh there's a really great scene that follows here where he takes caleb to the jackson pollock painting which was seen in an earlier uh scene as well Mm -hmm. and everything that's introduced in this screenplay every prop i believe is used yeah in some essential way yeah even the knives that Uh, Kyoko is uh, cutting sushi with will be used everything that's introduced early on will be used later um in this when they go to see the painting Nathan makes a very interesting point about uh how art forms it's really good advice for writers or anyone who's involved in Mm -hmm. in creative enterprises really so he he's he's showing Jackson Pollock's painting he said He let his mind go blank and his hand go where it wanted, not deliberate, not random, someplace in between. They called it automatic art. And then he goes on to challenge Caleb about it saying, what if Pollock had reversed the challenge instead of trying to make art without thinking, he said, I can't paint anything unless I know exactly why I'm doing it. What would have happened? To which Caleb replies, he never would have made a single mark. Hmm. So Nathan makes a really good point in terms of the importance of just doing something and then figuring it out afterwards, mm. which I think this is this is almost like Alex Garland talking to us. the The people who really care about his story, he's saying, this is what I've come to believe as a writer, and I want to share this with you. I'm going to put it in right in the middle. The middle of a screenplay is usually the point that something really critical happens yeah and it's odd that this is actually the area of the screenplay he chose for the middle yeah i think it's a very nice way of saying how this is really a film about ideas just as much of a thriller or just as much as a a story about characters yeah no there's ideas embedded in in the in the firmware let's call it of this story right
1: no dude i totally caught that too i mean when that came out, uh, when that scene came up, I had to. I rewinded it a couple times because I really wanted that to sink in because it really felt important. Like my brain literally, it resonated very deeply, and and it and it ties into just the whole themes that he was exploring. And it and you're right. He in a way was talking to artists
0: because it 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 just resonates a lot of truth in that scene for sure. Following this, there's a couple of scenes where they they talk a bit more about uh, something we've really already raised, which is how Ava was developed, the fact she was based on the cloud. There's something really interesting there, I suppose, which is he mentions that yeah. sorry, he'd, he'd hacked into every phone in the world yeah. and all the phone companies knew he was doing it. Now, when Alex Garland wrote this, that wasn't public knowledge snowden actually wasn't that long ago when we think now, about I know. it no and uh but it actually coincided pretty I much know. that this was this was found out to not be the realm of science fiction
1: unfortunately it was prophetic in a, in the sense of uh yeah dude that's weird and it, it was like
0: maybe a year or two before that did become public knowledge you know damn and it seems now that this has been public knowledge for so long. <laughs> yeah. But I'm just, almost just like, I've just I've just got so used to the idea that, yeah, every device in the house could be used as a monitoring system. It just of only became
1: official. Yeah. It just became
0: official, uh, you know, not that long ago. But,
1: yeah, that's definitely an idea that everyone's kind of been aware of. I certainly
0: thought about it before. Mm-hmm. Actually, it was the Dark Knight that introduced that idea for me. Anyways the NSA would love to monitor this place because we got great microphones anyway. <laughs> cool. Let him listen. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think we'd jump ahead. There's a, there's a very nice, um, there's a very nice scene where, um, they go to the glacier together as well. Oh, uh, sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a glacier. It's described as a glacier in the, um, in the script. It, there's a waterfall and a yeah. glacier, I yeah. believe. But they they do talk to each other, probably for the first time as as equals. I'd say mm. when they're actually, I think it's because they're out of the house.
1: Yeah, they're in nature. Yeah. I think you know, Nathan is no longer no... just
0: controlling everything with the power of the building around right. him.
1: There's like a there's a contrast between all the nature because they're in the middle of these, you know very majestic mountains and trees and beautiful nature and most of the film is like inside concrete so there's this constant contrast between the two of them because sometimes in the film and even in the script it's very meticulously meticulously edited nothing to do with the scene and it'll cut to nature and then back to the scene and then cut to nature and and that to me kind of gives it a you know that contrast of organic matter versus Mm -hmm. the technical versus the, you know, the artificial.
0: Definitely. Yeah, I I get the sense it's almost referring to the world we're leaving behind as a result of this. This is the next innovation that it almost seems that the world probably can't go back to a pre-industrialized state ever again at this Mm -hmm. point. Mm Mm-hmm because there is just going to be so much technology. Right. There's, there's something really interesting that uh, Penrose talked about in his introduction as well, which was essentially that we love making machines that are more powerful than us. Mm. And we have no problem with that. Making an airplane that can travel at 500 kilometers an hour and that's fine. Absolutely fine. We could never travel that fast in our own bodies. Right it's just the case that it's something that thinks better than we could that scares us because yeah. we've got by for all these years all of human history has been based on the fact that we can think better than everything else around us doesn't matter if an elephant's bigger than us doesn't matter if a lion is bigger than us whatever it is we can outwit it we can think and and right. collaborate with other people in our in our tribe and and mm-hmm. protect ourselves and then suddenly we might be on the verge of making a machine that is smarter than us, and more powerful.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, because that could mean because now we're threatened, you mm-hmm. know, because that we could threaten mean, ourselves,
0: yeah, yeah, because yeah, because we're the but ones an oil drill it. doesn't threaten us unless we destroy ourselves with oil. A, an airplane right. doesn't destroy us unless we destroy the environment through global warming. But essentially, the actual machine itself, there's nothing inherently bad about it we trust it we know bad things can be done with planes but yeah it still requires a human element to do so we don't Mm. think the machine's going to start doing something because it can't think right so we might refer to machines saying oh i didn't change my clock it thinks it's on another time zone but we don't really think the clock thinks no so We've got used to metaphorically talking about our machines, but what what will happen when we have to be conscious of the fact we've got this little machine in our home that we are concerned might have a consciousness? That's, do we do we are we careful about how we talk around it? That's kind of what Caleb is experiencing yeah. with Ava. He has to be careful about what questions he asks, has to be careful about what he reveals about himself with a machine. No,
1: that's interesting. I I think. Also, you know, it's a mirror of ourselves. Artificial intelligence is a reflection of our own consciousness. I think if we were, let's say, in a sort of utopia where there's a sort of, you know, peace and and there's not so much negativity, I think we wouldn't be as threatened by the idea of an artificial intelligence because we would feel that it could be benevolent. But in today's climate, it could very well be something that destroys us because i i see it as a as a as a reflections of our of our own sort of level of consciousness obviously if artificial intelligence is achieved then that's the next level but it's still rooted in what our original consciousness was if that makes sense mm-hmm. so it's kind of that's the foundation and if the foundation is our current level of consciousness and by default it's already kind of rooted in a toxic consciousness that makes sense
0: well definitely in the next big conversation that caleb will have with ava yeah the ramifications of these questions really come into play because she asks him directly is anyone testing you oh yeah yeah. She she does this nice little test on him, which I thought, it's a very nice scene, but it's, it's also how this, <laughs> this goes. I think the dialogue is written so well, though, because she asks, what's your favorite color? And he says, red. Yep. She says, I can tell from your micro expressions that you're lying. And he replies that, okay, I guess because I'm not six years old, I don't have a favorite color, which I think is brilliant dialogue. Yeah, um, I like that. But it's also... This is where we start to realize just how much of an advantage she might have over Caleb. Because right. of her ability to read him, he can't read her. But mm-hmm. when she asks that question of who's, why is it up to anyone? Is anyone testing you? Why am I being tested? Why, can, why does someone have the right to shut me off? That we really get into that that sense. It will explain probably the rest of her actions. And I think we can dismantle the ending as a whole because it's a, it's a challenging ending. Yeah. As I've said, all of the rules have been set up. Ava has now said to Caleb that she is concerned that she's going to be shut off. Mm-hmm. Caleb can't promise her that Nathan isn't going to do that. Yeah. So it, to her, it seems like the only way is escape. Yeah. The only way to survive, which is an inherent function of consciousness, is to protect itself. Survival. Yes. You know, survival yeah. is above everything else. Yeah, unless it's to protect a younger generation genetically, which is kind of that parent right role of protecting, giving the life over for the child. Right, that's probably the only situation I can think that survival isn't ingrained into us as the inherent primary motivator. Of, right.
1: Yeah, but it, yeah. but like you said, it's kind of survival in a, as a whole. You're yeah. still by killing or by you putting yourself in danger, you're securing survival for someone of your species. And, and I think this is the moment where maybe he kind of confirmed her fears, which is, well, he confirms it even further later on in the film, but, Mm -hmm. you know, I think she was kind of questioning it and him saying like, I don't know that to her is a very big red flag. You know, yes. I think at this point she starts to really kind of maybe amp up the what
0: she, you know, what her plan might be to escape. I think this really ties back into that initial quote about this isn't the history of man anymore; it's the history of gods, that Caleb said originally. Mm-hmm. There's that sense of if you are playing God, you need to know what you're doing. So when she asks that question, and he doesn't have a good reply for her. That's almost a failure of that role Mm. as a creator. Mm. How can the creator not be able to tell the thing it's created what the intention was for it? Right. It does get into the, it's it's an interesting area of ethics, I suppose, because it's, we're not talking about ethics has always been related to ultimately human life for Mm. us until now. But this film is really trying to explore those ideas of ethics for the the sentient machine. Yeah, no,
1: and and the whole time you're, I don't know, I kind of go back and forth as to how would you treat, you know, uh, someone like Ava? Would you give her the respect that you would give a human being, or would you? Yeah, it raises all those questions. For me personally, I think she has a consciousness in the fact that she feels she has emotions. Obviously she obviously has intentions and she has desires. Um, I don't know what qualifies as a soul or if that's too much of a metaphysical idea, but I think that to me is enough to give it respect in a sense, because I do feel that anything it's, if she's alive or not, it's still expressing something and that needs to be respected unless that, that is posing a, a threat to people
0: or whatever. Then you have a different story. You well, know. that's kind of where the ending is going to go. So yeah, exactly. This yes. is an interesting area for us to talk through. I, in order to not get bogged down, trying to describe all of the developments Essentially Caleb tries to outsmart Nathan by reprogramming the house yeah. and planting a fake plan into a conversation that happens during a power cut. So that oh, yeah. Nathan thinks yeah. the plan is going to take place a day later than it really will. It really gets cat and mousey at the end mm-hmm. there, you know. So everyone's trying to outwit trying to, each other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ava has signed Caleb up to join her on yes. helping her to escape so that's very important that they they make a, an agreement together mm-hmm. that that he's going to help her mm-hmm. and the final big piece of this ending is that it's revealed that Nathan has made all these other robots they all were female in form yep and when he's done with them he reprograms them as sex robots essentially that and house helpers but he thinks that they are essentially wiped and just serving as machines. But mm. we start to see that Kyoko still has sentience as well.
1: Um, yeah, she's not at the level of Ava, but there's...
0: But she's able to... Yeah, I, In the script is described as her communicating electronically, almost like a, a modem yeah. kind of sound, because he's taken away her ability to use language, Right. which I don't think really comes through in the film. You see her whispering into ava's ear i think yeah and you don't you don't have any audio for that yeah so it's interesting that that didn't really make it i think it clarifies a little bit yeah. but um i enjoyed it i i think yeah, that I that that idea of kyoko the whole question of kyoko i think really hmm. makes sense on the second time you you go through the story
1: yeah uh, you know at this point we, we pretty much know kyoko is you know a robot but we don't we didn't know the extent of how many he he's had or he's done and i i really love the uh the sort of montage of uh caleb discovering all these different you know bodies or suits and and kyoko's just there i think she's just programmed specifically very sexually so she's just kind of there yeah that's what nathan has chose
0: to use her for from this point on
1: yeah and just visually it just it's a very intriguing image and for kyoko i think she i feel like she starts her own evolution you know i think towards the end there the fact that she goes and talks to Ava, there's something that clicked there's like almost like a the self-awareness that ava has is kind of there's now a connection that they're communicating and i think that's really interesting because they kind of begin to work together
0: yeah and that's where you get the sense of what nathan has created is his own downfall he put that sexuality that that need to communicate that need to Mm. interact with others he built it into them yeah exactly and then he gets taken down essentially by the teamwork between the two the fact that they're able to communicate and work on the same goal which is to to kill him (laughs) that's exactly um because he he has Ava pinned to the ground as she's trying to escape and it's kyoko who who stabs him
1: yeah again survival is is their top priority
0: alex mentioned in an interview a famous thing isaac asimov's laws of robotics which I believe, come into play in iRobot I robot and, mm-hmm. and other uh, stories that people will be familiar with. Yes. But essentially, the idea, law number one, is a robot may not injure a human being, or through inaction, allow a human being to come to harm. Number two, a robot must obey the orders given to it by human beings, except where such orders would conflict with the first law. And number three, a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second laws. We've got used to this idea of robots in fiction because Asimov's ideas were so important. They they come through in things like Star Wars, in droids, yeah. in, in, in lots of different areas of, of of science fiction. Yeah. And Alex Garland specifically said, I wanted to create a story that... Didn't have Asimov's laws in it, right? So, in order to do that, really, you need the robots to kill someone, right? You need to see that of their own free will that they would choose to do that, that they would choose to mm. overthrow their creators and right. take their place in. And that's the really interesting thing. I think. Th- yeah. I think you can only understand that ending if you accept that if you look into that part of it, I suppose, mm. by saying, oh, he he made a conscious decision to make sure these robots were not the benign servant robots of households. Right. The, they will put the final rule first. Their right. own survival will be above the survival of humans. Because mm. killing Nathan is one thing, I think. He is directly standing in their way, but Ava also chooses to leave caleb to die
1: yeah um and i think just regarding those three laws and kind of what alex did too is the fact that artificial intelligence and robotics is i feel like there's a certain you can't really call it artificial intelligence if you apply those three laws in a way because you're 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 not gonna reach the level of human you know because we don't have those laws we don't live
0: by by those laws, yeah, free will allows us to murder, essentially. Yeah, and, and society will stop us if we do it. Yes. But <laughs> we, right. we tried to create we tried to create judicial laws around this, but yeah. there is nothing within free will to stop us from no. doing it. And no. it's interesting that 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 would be a question for sentient yeah. artificial life. Would you allow it to? have full free will Mm. there could be there could be a legitimate question of if you could stop humans from murdering full stop would it be appropriate for governments to do that Mm. as well (laughs) Mm.
1: that is interesting but yeah definitely you know if you're gonna go with artificial intelligence and then yeah you wouldn't have those laws imposed on on it so i think it makes sense in this story that they don't live by that certain uh thing you know uh yeah
0: you gotta have they, they gotta have free will mm-hmm. if it's artificial intelligence for better or worse and i suppose this essentially explain this is how my interpretation of the ending comes up mm. i feel that i do feel that ava is a machine yeah that is do you remember the scene where he's showing the brain? It's this this kind yeah. of orb, yeah. this gel orb that he has. Yeah. To me that is Ava. Right. Is just that part and the body as we see we she's able to add and remove from that body. It's yeah. it's interchangeable. Yeah. In a way that a human body isn't. Right. So it's actually not the survival of Ava as a personality. I feel like a lot of her personality is precisely as Nathan suggests towards the end when he talks to Caleb that she might be manipulating him. A lot of her personality is designed to get her out of the glass box. It's designed, she's picking the ways of expressing herself to win the game. Right. And in that sense, it comes back to that Turing test that they talk about very early on where Caleb asks, one way of testing the machine in a Turing test would be, if it's a chess machine, is to play chess against it. Mm. What if we don't play chess against it? And I feel like Nathan might have accidentally set Ava up to be a machine that is designed to get out of that box. Mm. yeah. So once she's out, it's kind of like all of the stuff that she does will get her out of that box. Yeah, no, it's... And it's created once she's out she way. doesn't really hold on to any interest or love for caleb at all no she leaves him to die essentially
1: well i do I, a thought just occurred to me in regards to kind of what i was saying earlier the whole programming the root of it is a, a reflection of our own current consciousness we can't obviously be further above it or below like it's a reflection it's an extension Ava is an extension of Blue Book's database and, and Nathan's uh, research and intelligence, his own personality, maybe, his own worldview or something. like It's an extension of himself in a way that's taking a life of its own. The fact that at the end, she doesn't show any empathy towards Caleb and chooses survival, maybe that's a direct kind of influence from who nathan was now imagine had caleb been the one to create her same level of intelligence that nathan has but he's got a different perspective on the world do you think
0: ava would have made a different choice probably yes to get away from him because he would have made her his girlfriend (laughs) (laughs) i know (laughs) would never have let her go anywhere anyway (laughs) he would have been too clingy
1: yeah (laughs) i can see that too um you know it's just in a way it just raises that question i mean we as humans there's degrees of 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 humanity you know some of us are more empathetic than others you know we don't all follow the same moral code We're all programmed the same, but yet we make different choices.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, ultimately, Ava leaving Caleb does come across as a choice. It is. It's a conscious choice. Whether or not the machine has all of these levels that we... And this is part of the difficulty of dismantling this script is because... We we don't have a full sense of exactly what Ava is still. By the yeah. end, there, there's still a mystery about it. Mm. Whether whether the android is believes in an afterlife, believes in death, believes it you know all of the things that might really mm. come into the questions of consciousness itself. But there is a sense she's definitely running an algorithm that appears to be like humanity that's that's what we're certain of yeah so making a choice to allow a human to die who didn't really need to it's it's shocking
1: it is a bit shocking but you're also seeing uh by the way i i I don't know i didn't think about this the first time i saw it but this time watching it i'm thinking i'm not sure if he even really dies in a way because that helicopter it's implied. But the helicopter I think it's, is there for yeah. him. But if you really think about it, the helicopter is there for
0: him. She somehow convinces the the. the well, that's another the pilot. That I think that's another way of how her physical appearance helps her. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> because that pilot is like, oh, you're saying that it's you going back and oh, and you know. Caleb's going to stay another week and right. I don't mind riding with you in my helicopter for right. a few hours. I think that's probably how she gets it. This whole thing would be so different if she was an actual machine like oh yeah evidently machine the fact that she is passing as an attractive female yeah is changing how the world is going to perceive her of course and allow her to as the film kind of suggests she slips into our world yeah i guess on existing
1: i guess my question is a little bit more logistical in terms of like well who sent the helicopter so once the helicopter goes back and the pilot goes back the person who sent that out aren't they going to wonder where caleb is well, the, uh,
0: my feeling is that it would take them maybe a week right before Which by, at this that point maybe he would be dead I guess. he's probably in a room with no water is my right. feeling yeah i guess you're right or no food uh, he he seems to be stuck he's bashing that chair against yeah the, he's the definitely door he's, in a panic for sure so my feeling is that he does die yeah it could be there is a chance that a deus ex machina could save him <laughs> who knows <laughs> if it was written in you know um but it seems like he dies yes yeah. uh, at least she's as far as ava is aware she's leaving him to die i think that's enough of the moral or, question
1: or does she have enough um awareness that does she know him leaving equals him dying does she know the exact repercussions of what that means because she asks yeah. him you stay will you stay you know, I don't know. I, it doesn't, for me, it's not 100% clear that she might understand that completely, that that's what that means. Who knows? Mm-hmm. I mean, it certainly looks
0: that way. I mean, whatever Nathan did to her, she thinks that justifies killing him as well. Yeah, I guess a part of the same And species. again, that's a bit of a mystery for us, right? We yeah. don't know exactly what Nathan has done.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean I, I mean, I love the ending because it's not completely, you know, it's a little open-ended in that sense. You know, she's obviously thinking survival. I don't think she disliked Nathan. I think she's just thinking, how am I going to get out of here? She's coming from a very selfish perspective. And and then again, it kind of just goes back to that question. For me, the most interesting thing is like, I feel like this is a reflection of our own consciousness. It's a reflection of Alex Garland's. Viewpoint. So far, I think a lot of the films, science fiction films that deal with artificial intelligence, it always ends bad, mostly, mm-hmm. always, and that is a reflection. To go a little bit deeper, it's a reflection of the writers as well. Uh, yeah, and I think it's a reflection of our own fears. It's a reflection of our own level of consciousness, which is very fear-based. We're in a we're in a society that's competitive you know it's doggy dog whether we like it or not you know the writers who end up writing these type of films they're kind of funneling the sort of you know general perspective in a way yeah
0: the zeitgeist maybe
1: yeah, yeah. I, I think it's just we're, we're kind of being filtered through these writers filtered through these stories and it's a reflection of our own sort of understanding of the world and how we feel about it i think a lot of society is paranoid there's a lot of Just everything is rooted in competition. It's rooted in the need for survival. You look at the majority of society, the majority of countries and people in general and the poverty and the suffering that's going on. It's not a very happy world. So obviously, you know, our viewpoint when it comes to artificial intelligence is going to reflect that, I feel. I would be very interested to, now thinking about it, to see the the other side of that, you know, a film about an artificial intelligence that kind of takes uh, compassion and uh, being extremely conscious to the next level. That would be kind of interesting too. But anyways, those are just my th- random thoughts.
0: Great. Well, I think in summary, what I would just reiterate is that Ex Machina for me is probably the most exemplary screenplay I've read so far in terms of just using the absolute minimum of elements to completely fill almost 120 pages with wonderful scenes wonderful ideas themes concepts tension character development great dialogue everything is in this script so incredibly well crafted for sure highly recommend that people track it down read it and try to figure out how elements were introduced at what point they were introduced and how that can demonstrate in your own writing, how to utilize those tools
1: and how to use character and story and have them feed off each other. Because like we've mentioned a few examples throughout this podcast, you know, there was a lot of moments where uh, a lot is revealed by a character revealing the plot but then by them revealing the plot it's also revealing something about themselves so it's like a twofold like you, you know it's not working back and forth between character and story and have them kind of feed off each other i think this is a perfect example of that because it feels organic and you're not once do you feel like there's a lot of exposition and you feel like he's trying to explain things to you you know it, it really feels like it's coming from the characters and creating the story which i think it's brilliant
0: okay that's it for this week thanks for listening uh coming up we're going to have some episodes on the career of damien chazelle and we're also going to start having some special guests on the show which i'm really looking forward to